Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. So today I want to talk to you about bad days or like bad seasons of life. You ever had one of those? And I'm not talking about one of those days or times where you wake up a few minutes late or you wake up to grab your coffee and you're, you're at a creamer. I'm, I mean, I'm not talking about that kind of bad day. I'm talking about one of those days when everything seems out of control. When life doesn't make sense, what you're going through doesn't make sense. I mean, when your world is crashing all around you and you feel crushed, hopeless, or scared. You had a season of life like that? For me, when I think about this, and I've shared with you this story before, but I think about when Jessica was pregnant with our first child. From the beginning, there was complications with the pregnancy, and after ER visits and tests and things like that, uh, we went to the doctors who, of course, ran more tests, and I remember when she got the phone call, and they told us we have to come in immediately. The test results showed that uh, our child was bleeding from a hole in the bottom of their head, and it was leaking spinal fluid and blood. Um, yeah, it was leaking spinal fluid and blood, and there was other signs of developmental pro uh, problems going along with this. We ended up having to go to specialists and all that sort of things. And I never forget that conversation with the specialist. The doctor came in and confirmed that, well, what we already told. They confirmed that our child had Down syndrome along with the, develop, uh, with the physical problems of a hole in the back of the head, leaking spinal fluid and blood in her belly. And we were told that this child would have not only developmental problems, but severe physical handicaps. We're in our late 20s, and the doctor started telling us about what it would look like being this young and raising a child with this many needs for the rest of our lives, what that would mean. And I said, well, what, what are the chances? He said, 100%. And again, this wasn't just a regular OBGYN. These were the elite, the specialist doctors. And he said, so what do you want to do? I said, what? What, what, do you, what do you mean? And he proceeded to try to convince us to abort our child because we were too young and the battle was too tough and we could just start over being so young. Needless to say, me and that doctor never talked again. But you ever had a season of life like that? Where things are happening outside of your control and people who are supposed to be helpful feel not helpful and in fact, they seem rather harmful. You ever been put in a situation where it seems like whatever situation you chose wasn't a good situation, wasn't a good decision, and whatever decision you made, you felt like it was going to be the wrong thing. You ever felt like that what was going on was out, not, not just outside of your control, but derailed all the plans you had for your life? And I'm not talking about just the plans you had for your life. You ever thought that what's going on has messed up all of God's plans for your life? 
And you just think there's no way out. There's nothing we can do. What's going on with this? The sadness, the frustration, the fear. It can be overwhelming and terrifying. And I bet we've all experienced things like this. And if you haven't yet, you will. Because life has hardships. Life has suffering and pain. It's something we wish doesn't exist, but it sure does. But what we learned from Paul, that even in those dark days, if we have a divine perspective, we can still live with hope. We can still experience joy in the midst of the most difficult seasons of life. You see, we're in the second week of our series in the book of Philippians. And when Paul is writing this book, we didn't talk about it last week, so we could talk about it this week. When Paul is writing this book, he's writing to thank this church for supporting him because he's, well, he's locked up. Remember when we first learned about Paul, he is on fire for Judaism. He is a man going places. He's a religious scholar going places in life, and he's on track to be one of the top leaders. He was literally throwing people in prison for being Jesus followers. And then he met Jesus. Well, Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and his life completely changed. If you don't know that story, you can read it in Acts chapter 9. But his life was radically changed. And Paul went from persecutor of the church to a man on fire starting new churches and then being persecuted for the faith. He was a man on fire for the Lord. Check this. He was a man directly in God's will and God's plan and was where? Prison. In chains. Locked up. And what's so amazing about this story is he was compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem to, to meet with his people, to spread the gospel during a special celebration time. And he knew that when he went there, good things wouldn't come from it. A lot of times, we're actually thankful we don't know God's will because if we knew what was on the other side, we wouldn't do it. But Paul knew it and still went. In fact, his friends warned him. They said, you're, you're going to Jerusalem. Paul, you can't. What's waiting for you there isn't good. Paul, you, you don't need to go. You need to go somewhere else. Don't do this. Look what Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 22 through 25. He says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. How many of y'all think about retirement after something like that? He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. And Paul is right. He's almost killed in Jerusalem by the mob. In fact, the Roman guards go to arrest him so he wouldn't be killed by the crowds. They call Paul a troublemaker, the ringleader of a special Nazarite sect of Judaism causing disturbances among the people, defiling the temple, and preaching about a man who died but came back to life. 
in Jerusalem, after he was arrested, the Jews decided to assassinate Paul in Roman custody. Guys, this stuff's actually in your Bible. Did you know that? You should read it. Like, if you think your Bible's boring, I just say you've never read it. You've never read it if you think the Bible's boring. So there's an assassination pot on Paul's life. So the Romans moved him out of town so he wouldn't be killed and could stay in trial. And they transfer him to Caesarea to the governor so he could hear his case. When he stood in front of the governor to plead his case, Paul preached to him about Jesus. Shared his testimony of what God has done in his life. And what's so crazy is the governor knew that he hadn't done anything to be arrested. He hadn't done anything to be on trial. So he told Paul that he'll release him when he thought, check this, when he thought it was convenient. When it's convenient, I'll release you. Acts tells us that he actually wanted a bribe from Paul. And the man wanting favor from the Jews decided to keep him locked up for the next two years to appease other people. The next ruler came into power. This guy's gone. The next one comes in and tries to figure out why is this man in prison? So he asked Paul, he says, you've been here for two years. I, I, I just take, took over. The Jews are coming. They want you. I just got here. What's going on? He says, do you just want to go to Jerusalem and stay in trial with them? Paul's like, uh-uh. I appeal to Caesar. You see, he didn't get transferred overnight. Then the king came to welcome the new governor. You know, welcome to power. Great job. You, you finally got promoted. And then him and the king, the new governor and the king, have a conversation. He says, check this out. I just came into power. These Jews wanted to get this guy. Paul, this guy, Paul's been here for two years. Like, I don't, I, something weird's going on. And so the king's like, hey, well, let's, let me meet him. Let, let me find out what's going on. So, well, guess what? Paul came before the king. What do you think Paul did? Talked about how unfair life was. Talked about how he didn't deserve it. He started telling them all about Jesus Christ. Spread the gospel. Shared them, told them a whole story. Look what the king says. He's baffled. Look at what he says. Then the Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? He's like, I see what you're doing. I just wanted to meet you. You're trying to talk me to be a Christian. I love Paul. Here's what he says next. Paul says, short time or long? I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today will become what I am. Well, except for the chains, of course. I don't, don't want you to be like that. But you see, Paul, oh, excuse me, we, we weren't sure exactly what decision they made, but what we do know is they both knew he was not guilty. Look what they said next. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. But because Paul said, I want to go to Rome, they had to take him to Rome. They couldn't let him go. So there, they transferred him. He went to Rome. Where check this. He was under house arrest or prison. Not like the dungeon prison, but had some freedom. We'll talk about that a different day. But he was under chains for another two years. Four years total, he's locked up. And more than likely, it's during this time in prison at Rome where he's been locked up for at least two and a half years, we know for sure that Paul is writing this letter. You see, Paul's in chains for preaching the gospel, but his mission is to preach the gospel. 
His purpose and what God's plans for his life, he's in under chains now. How can he continue doing it? His own people want to kill him and tried. The justice system knows he's not guilty, but it's not convenient to let him go. The Romans, who he is arrested and captive by, have already killed Jesus, who is completely innocent. So Paul knows that's not out of the purview here. That's where we find Paul. That's what he's going through. And it kind of makes everything we're dealing with a little smaller, doesn't it? And here's what he says. Philippians 1.12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, everything we just talked about, has actually served to advance the gospel. You see, Paul knew something that I hope we can all learn today. That God's purposes often work through our problems and our difficulties. He knew that God was still working in and through his hardships. He knew that although his situation had changed, that God had not changed. Paul didn't allow his circumstances in life to sway him from God's mission for him. Paul knew that his mission was to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was to share the good news of God's grace with other people. And our mission, ladies and gentlemen, is also to share the good news of God's grace. You see, sharing the gospel, evangelism as we call it, isn't just for a special group of elite people. It's not just for pastors. It's for every single believer of Jesus Christ. And it's not that difficult. In fact, I bet you already know how to do it. You see, what do you do What do you do if you eat at a good restaurant? You tell everybody about it, don't you? You tell them how delicious it is. Most of you take pictures of it and post it on social media, don't you? And check this out. We all know nobody cares what it looks like. But you're so adamant about how awesome it is, you have to tell everybody about it. You get so excited. You tell your friends, you tell your families, you tell your neighbors, I tried this new restaurant. It was so delicious. And you don't think. You don't go, well, they may not like it. They might not like the lights. They may be offended. They may not like chicken. You don't think about all the negative reasons not to do it. You are just so excited about how great it was. You use that excitement to do what? To tell everybody else you know. To even brag about it, don't you? Y'all haven't been there. I've been there. Y'all couldn't get in. I got in. Ooh, it was good too. No, I didn't bring you any. It was delicious though. Yet you talk about things you love all the time. In the same way, if Jesus Christ has impacted your life, surely that's worth talking about. If Jesus has impacted your marriage, your character, your integrity, your hope, your future, if his grace has impacted your personal life, your sin, your forgiveness, if you're truly living in the grace of God, then you have plenty of things to talk about with other people simply because of how amazing God's grace really is. And you see, what I know about Christians is we love to sit around and sing amazing grace. 
We even tear up when we hear the song. But the point of the song isn't for nostalgia. It's celebrating what God has done in our life. Never forget the man who wrote that song allowed the gospel to impact his life in an amazing way. Became an abolitionist to get rid of the slave train. He didn't just talk about it. He lived out the gospel every day. He wrote it because it transformed him. He didn't just think about when he sung it with his grandma. He lived God's grace. You see, Paul's mission in life was to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Our mission in life is to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to talk about what he's done. And because Paul had a divine perspective, he was able to continue to work even in those hardships. He was continued to press on to share the gospel even in the midst of a tremendous amount of this isn't fairness. You ever had a this isn't fairness moment in life? Look at what he says next, 113. He says, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard, it's about 9,000 people, and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Listen, the man is on trial, locked up, having to face all these rulers for sharing the gospel. And if I was in trouble for doing something, if I was locked up for doing something, I'd probably not try to do it again until I was free. Wouldn't you? For instance, when I used to get sent to the principal's office all the time, true story, when I got to the principal's office, I wasn't doing the same things I did in my classroom. I acted like, I don't know what that teacher's talking about. She's crazy. I don't, mm -hmm. look at me. I'm a good kid. They never believed that, by the way. I would stop it. But Paul, when he was locked up, he took the opportunity to talk to governors, to talk to kings. I think he appealed so he wanted to stand face to face to Caesar and tell him about the good news. And along with this, the entire time he's locked up, he just kept telling the guards the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul thought, oh, they think I'm in captivity. Nope. God's just brought me a captive audience. They're locked up. They just got to sit here and listen to me. As they watch me. You see, Paul realized, he looked at a situation and realized that God wasn't done. His mission hasn't changed. He's still supposed to share the gospel to everyone who comes his way. You see, we are to prioritize what's important. And we do that, don't we? We prioritize the things that we believe are important. Look what else he says. Philippians 1.14. He says, and beside, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Because of Paul's boldness, the others around him become, became bold. He inspired them to share the gospel. You see, stepping up and sharing your faith, being on fire for the Lord, will impact other people around you. When they see what you're doing, when they hear what you're doing, they're going to want to be a part of that. And you may just be the spark that musters the courage up in them to proclaim the gospel. Because all of us get inspired by boldness. We all love an underdog story. See, church, here's the secret to church growth. Every church I've been at or pastored at wants to know the silver bullet. Like, what's the thing that's going to cause a church to grow? 
They look at other large churches and they think, how are they growing? How can we become like theirs? Why is their church growing and ours isn't? Is it because of a cool preacher? I hope not. Is it, is it because of a cool worship band? Is it because they give free iPads away for the hundredth visitor? Is it because of the hymns? Is it because of the organ just draws everybody in? Is, is that what it is? Here's the secret, and you can write this down in your notes. Healthy churches grow when God's people are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is simply that simple. When believers are telling people about Jesus Christ, that's when the church grows. Churches grow when their members are living on mission for Jesus Christ. Inviting others to be a part of a church where their life can be changed. Where they can grow and be discipled. Because, church, that is what we're here for. We are here to help people grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what matters. That's what you need to work on, having your life impacted with the gospel. And the reason why you share the gospel and you share the church is because it's impacting your life. And if you aren't growing in your relationship with Jesus, and if he's not impacting your life, then you're not going to tell other people. Because we don't share a mediocre meal, mediocre meal, do we? That's the thing that came out kind of cold. We don't talk about that. Churches grow when our people, when us, are intentional about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we are intentional about inviting people to be a part of a church that is helping others grow in their relationship with Jesus, and when we believe that we are here for life change and we can help others change their life. But churches get distracted, don't they? We start thinking and focusing about, well, the building, the organ, the hymns, the suits, the ties, the shoes, the pews, or for the other folks, I'm not done, don't worry. The drums, the skinny jeans, the fog machines, the iPad giveaways. But none of those things are going to save people. None of those things are actually important. Jesus Christ is important. And the fact that God's son came to this earth to die for our sins, set us free from bondage and slavery, folks, that is important. Helping men and women restore broken marriages, that is important. Helping teens who are influenced by some of the most messed up things in this world right now, helping them find truth in the gospel, that is important. Helping families raise their kids in a godly way because we don't have a clue what we're doing, that's important. Helping people realize there is truth in this world, that God loves them, that they don't have to be alone, that they don't have to live in sin, that they can be rescued and redeemed, they can be forgiven. Church, that is important. That's what we focus on. The gospel is important. And when we get this as a church, when we understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the number one priority in this world, 
When we help people understand that the only way they're actually going to be happy and experience joy is by an intimate relationship with Jesus, not a thing. A thing won't ever work. But when Jesus is the center of their life, when the relationship is deepened, when they stop worrying about silly, silly stuff, then and only then will the church grow. When people are experiencing salvation and life change in Jesus Christ. And church, I thank God that we don't focus on that silly stuff anymore here. You all, from what I hear by our conversations, you shut that down so quick now. And I hear over and over of how this church is more united than it's been in a long time. And I praise God for that. We are moving forward with God's mission. But we aren't done. I'm so thankful that we've settled so many internal issues, but now it's just time to focus on what really matters, and that is spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not done because the world isn't saved yet. We need to keep impacting people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes all it takes is a spark. Someone being bold. Someone standing up. Allowing others, people, to experience what it looks like to truly live on mission, the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Paul's chains lit a spark, but look what happens. Verse 15. He says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Christians don't do that to each other, do they? We don't get envious of other churches and other people. We, don't. we still do that today? Yeah, envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. And we just talked about that some are followed up, fired up, some are doing great things for the Lord, and others, well, they're taking pot shots at Paul because he's locked up. We don't know exactly what's going on, but it's not hard to figure it out, I don't think, or imagine what could be going on. I mean, they could be saying, oh, look, there's Paul again, always getting in trouble for the gospel, won't ever be quiet. Look, he's gone and got himself arrested again. Because generally, I think we can agree on this, generally churches don't like when their pastors get arrested, right? Like if I was arrested this week, y'all wouldn't care for that too much, would you? Regardless of why, that kind of looks bad. Brian, we don't want you to go to jail. We should have put that in a job description. I'm sorry. Paul knows what's going on, but he chose not to dive into the drama. Look, that's a good word for some of you. Stop diving into the drama. Stay out. Get out. Sermon for a different day. But he keeps a divine perspective. Look at verse 18. He says, but what does it matter? What do I care what they're doing? The important thing, y'all thought I made up what's important, didn't you? Nope, here it is. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, that Christ is preached. That's the important thing, church. And because of this, I rejoice. Because the gospel is going out. Jesus is getting the attention. People aren't always going to understand our calling. They're not going to understand our priorities. And let's be honest, we're not always going to understand them. We're not going to understand their calling. We're not going to understand their priorities. But what matters is Christ preached. We don't need to worry about other people's ministry. What we need to worry about is Christ being preached. In fact, am I preaching about Christ? 
It's easy to throw stones and we're not doing anything, isn't it? But am I preaching Christ? Which means, if what's important, that's what he says, the important thing is that Christ is being preached. That means it's pretty important if he's not being preached. Church, imagine if we believe this. Imagine if every one of us believed in sharing the gospel with others and were intentional about sharing the gospel with others. I ask you, are you willing to put yourself out there for the gospel and say, hey, whatever people think about me, it doesn't matter. If I can tell them about my favorite restaurant, I can tell them about my favorite savior because he's the only one. If I can tell them about all the great things my kids have done. How many of y'all share pictures with your grandkids and kids? Tell everybody who don't care. Hey, look how awesome they are. Y'all do that? You do. You put it on Facebook. You do. What about your Savior? This isn't a guilt trip. It's about priorities. What's actually important? Sometimes we just need to be reminded about what's important. And I ask you, are you willing to be misunderstood because you believe sharing the gospel is important? See, Paul believed, although his situation changed, God hadn't changed. He knew all that his, everything around him changed, that his mission was still the same. So he kept doing it. And church, the reason why I think a lot of Christians who get bored in their faith, kind of get discontent in life, kind of going through the motions, is because they've missed out on God's mission. They haven't prioritized or got excited about what God's doing in this world. And so if you're a bit bored or or discontent, may I suggest sharing the gospel. Being intentional about reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Start getting to know people who aren't Christians. Build relationships with people. You may say, well, Brian, you, don't, you, don't, you just don't know. Brian, Brian you, you just don't understand what I'm dealing with. There's things that are going on. You may say, I, I just have or, or I'm facing. Remember, your situation may change, but God doesn't. God often works through those problems. He often works through those difficulties. And it's quite often during those difficulties and those hardships, he will respond and direct us. And we constantly see this in the Bible. It's very often in those moments, God will reveal himself to you if you seek him. You see, when we got the news from the doctor about our first child, I was so angry with God. And anger doesn't begin to describe how I felt. I was so furious that God would allow something like this in my life. So I told him about it. And I've told you before, that was the darkest place I've ever been in my life. I was anger, and all of it was completely directed towards God. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments. I can honestly tell you, I've never thought about walking away from the faith, but that would have been the closest I ever came. I was so mad and furious at him. So I told him about it wasn't polite. I wasn't kind. I was angry. And I remember where I was. I was getting gas, talking to him, yelling, screaming. You know, you get it. And I heard, who do you think you are? Where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? see, the entire book of Job came crashing into my life. 
Side note, that's why we read the Bible, so God can bring things back in remembrance when we need them. And he, church, he broke me like that. Who do you think you are? So for whatever reason, I knew what I had to do. I immediately called Jessica. I said, Jess, it's going to be okay. God's going to use this for his glory. I don't know how, but we're going to use this for his glory. I told her, I said, listen, we're going to have a child with, with special needs. It will open a door for us to reach people we would have never been able to reach. I said, babe, we're going to use this to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know how. I don't know what it looks like. But we're going to use this situation, and we're going to use it as an opportunity to reach more people for Jesus. And we started talking about creative ways and creative things that we could do because all we could cling to, all we had was that somehow, some way, God was going to use this for good. And I didn't understand it, but I just said, hey, we'll just tell people about Jesus. That's all I got. And folks, I meant it. I wasn't paying lip service. I wasn't trying to trick God or try to make him do something I really wanted him to do by do something I thought he wanted me to do. Y'all have done that before. But we chose a divine perspective in the midst of our pain and suffering. We knew our calling hadn't changed. We knew God hadn't changed. We just knew our situation did. But that was his business. I wasn't around when he created all. I didn't design myself. So I didn't get to pick how life turned out. You see, I tell you this story not to pat myself on the back. Surely you've heard my struggles, my hardships, and where I fail plenty. I tell you this story that because in the midst of our darkest moment we've ever experienced, that you can, because we did, and you can too, get creative about how you're going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can take all that pain And instead of living as a victim, you can turn it into the fact that God is still God. God is the one who moved you. God is the one who designed you. God's the one who's orchestrated it. He is still sovereign. His plans and purposes can't be thwarted. And your job is to continue on the path and being on mission for him. Because God's purposes often work through your problems and your difficulties. Although your situation's changed, he's never changed. And do not allow your circumstances in life to sway you from God's mission of sharing the good news. It's because it's in those moments, if you seek him, church, he will, you will find him. He will respond. Things that are out of our control are often God's way of opening doors for ministry. It doesn't mean you're going to like it. But it's just how we respond. So share the gospel. Think of creative ways to use your influence, to use the goodness that's going on in your life, even your pain to spread the gospel. And if you're unsure about how to share the gospel, about how to tell people about your faith, then I have great news for you. Because Pastor Scott's going to start a 10-week program to train and equip you to share your faith. We need people, our church, to step up and be on an intentional evangelism team. He came up to this week, Monday, he said, Brian, he said, I'm in this evangelism class. He said, just started, he's in seminary, you guys know that. And he said, one of the things I got to do for this class is put together a group of people in our church 
We need at least four people who are going to commit to evangelism. You think? You think I should cancel it? You know, drop the class? I said, no. I think our people will respond. I hadn't looked at what I was preaching on this week. I hadn't studied the passage yet. And what's so amazing is just seeing how God orchestrated this whole thing together. Because this whole passage, all of these verses are pointed at sharing the gospel in the midst of it all. And then God brings this program says, oh yeah, by the way, here's how you can do it. He's already working so we can be on board with this church. God has the resources and training to get lined up. When you're praying and you're seeking God, you will find coincidence happen far more often, don't they? So church, I ask you to respond. If you're unfamiliar with how to share your faith, if you're not too sure, then come on. Let's do it together. We're not going to send you alone by yourself knocking on the doors. We may send you with another person. I don't know if that's how they do it or not, but regardless. Are you willing? Are you willing to be a little embarrassed for Jesus? And I bring you to, not to make you feel, but to remember the public shame that went into lying naked or barely clothed on a cross for the world to see. We do this because we believe it. Will you do it with us? If you're ready for it, if you want to do it, there's a connection card in front of you or email Scott. Fill out that connection card. Say, hey, I want to be a part of it. And let's do this together, church. So Jessica and I gave our situation to the Lord. We never quit praying and we never quit believing. We were ready for whatever God was going to do through us. And after meeting with the specialists and the geneticists and everybody else you have to meet, in order to prepare for more, whatever reason, I don't remember. Half the time when they talked, it was a fog. Y'all ever been through something like that? You don't really, you're just like, whatever. And so we had to go through another test where they stuck that really long needle in my wife's uh, belly. And so we said, okay. And I'll never forget how they prepared us for it. They said, listen, we're going to go to this room. We've got to do this thing. And just don't be alarmed because it's going to be really bloody and murky and all this stuff. And we, we said, okay, I don't know what it's supposed to look. That didn't help me. And I remember us going to the room, and for whatever reason, I feel like the room was the size of the sanctuary when I'm picturing it now. I had to stand in the corner over here, and Jessica was sitting there lying down, and they stuck this needle. I think it was like this long. I don't know. I could, it, it, it felt like it was this long. And, and for those of you who know, when you're watching your wife go through something like this, you feel so helpless. And I just felt so scared. And so they put this needle in there. And I remember sitting in the room, and the doctor seemed scared. Do you know what that feels like when you're scared, and the doctor seems scared and nervous? I stepped back. I said, what's going on? I said, what's, what's happening? Everybody was shocked. They said, the fluid's clear. Church, I don't know what color the fluid's supposed to be. I said, what do, you, what do you mean? And you see, every time I look at my 10-year-old son, Troy, every time I see him, I know that God is still in the business of doing miracles. I don't know why God chose to heal him. I don't know why he doesn't heal anyone, everyone. But I know that, by golly, he gets the glory 
for what he did and through that situation. See, you can't tell me my God's not in the business of doing amazing things. I got a 10-year-old who disproves that. And he took our family on a journey. We learned more about our faith and commitment to his mission than anything else. And I'm not sure if what he did, this, this was a test before ministry. I'm not too sure. But what I do know is whatever he calls Troy to later on in life, I got to get out of the way. I know those kids aren't my kids. They're his, and that's a sermon for another day. But I say this to tell you that God is still God. Stop putting your hopes and dreams in people and experts and doctors. They may be helpful, but they are not God. Trust him. Live for him. And for goodness sakes, get on mission with what he's doing in this world. The world needs hope, folks. The world needs hope today. The world has been aware that the experts and the people don't have the answers, do they? The world is primed for the gospel. It just takes us, me and you, to be intentional about telling people the good news of God's grace. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you today and just so thankful for your grace and your mercy in our lives. Father, some need a miracle here in their relationships, with their job, with their family, with their health. God, we know you're still in the business of doing miracles. God, we know we can't manipulate you. So, Father, rather than even trying, we're going to trust you. We're going to give you our situation, and we're going to, no matter what, be intentional about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Father, help us see our situations as opportunities. Help us see these things that are out of our control, new doors of ministry. Father, we're very confident Paul didn't want to be in jail, just like we don't want to be in the situations we may be in. So, Father, help us have a divine perspective. Help us be intentional about spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, we don't know how you're going to make a way, but we believe you will. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.